Hello, sports fans. You're in the group chat, and I thought that Romeo Quinnell showed an intense amount of disrespect towards Deshaun Watson and the offense of the Texans by trusting Kaimi Fairbairn to kick that field goal. It's fourth and two. The Texans have been driving on that drive. Deshaun has converted already some tough third downs. The rushing attack has converted some tough third downs. And Romeo Cornell's explanation was that he trusted Kaimi Fairbairn with the wind to put points on the board over Deshaun Watson and the offense continuing that drive that they were on. I thought that that was just a disrespectful move to trust Kaimi Fairbairn's foot with the wind over Deshaun Watson's legs and with the ball in his hands. I think it just showed incompetence as a coaching staff as a whole and a lack of communication. Because when it's sec third and 12 in that situation, if you're going to go for it on fourth, you call a play like they did to Cooks, where you chunk the yardage, where, where, where you divide the yardage in half or whatever, and you decide to go for it. So I think obviously Tim Kelly called the play as if he thought maybe it was four down territory. And then Romeo Cornell should have been thinking ahead and shouldn't have had to use that timeout. I, I think I, while you think it, it disrespected Deshaun Watson, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think it just showed incompetence as a head coach. And let's just be honest, Romeo Cornell's a, 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 a shitty NFL head coach. Like, I don't know. I'm not breaking any news here. Uh, We've known that since 2008. Like, it's cute to have him as an interim head coach. It's cute to see him do the mashed potato, the stanky leg, or whatever old ass dance he does when they beat the Jags. That's cool. Uh, It's cool to hear his jovial personality uh, at the podium. But he's a crappy NFL head coach. And that's that's not breaking news. So I don't think you expected to get Bill Belichick or something like that with the decision making. You think it showed that? I think it just showed what we've known for 12 years now. That Romeo Cornell is not a good NFL head coach. Uh, he's not capable of thinking ahead. It was very Bill O'Brien-like yep. in that you had to use a timeout to make your decision, just like you did last year against Kansas City in the divisional round. Uh, it was very Bill O'Brien-like in that there was no method to your madness and that you've gone for it every time on fourth down, except when you're playing the worst weather game of the year, you decide you're going to kick the field goal uh, with – uh, Kaimi Fairbairn. So I think it was just showed what we've known for 12 years. Romeo Crell is not a very good coach, and he's not much of an upgrade in-game-wise than Bill O'Brien. And to pile on on the Bill O'Brien-esque nature of this, Romeo Cornell doubled down by trying to say that he wanted the wind, and he wanted the wind with his kick, yep. and he knew that if they didn't get it, Cleveland was going to finish the quarter, and then Cleveland was going to have the wind, and they wouldn't have the football, and they wouldn't have an opportunity to kick the kick the ball with the wind. How about this? How about this? How about if you make it? Cleveland still gets the ball with the wind, and all they need is a field goal to beat you. So if that is such an important advantage, Cleveland's going to get it anyway. So the way you would keep that from being an advantage is go score a freaking touchdown. It was just so silly to double down and act like the wind was a big factor in that situation and in that conversation. Oh, by the way, you cost yourself yards because if you fail on the conversion of fourth and two, it's uh, a little bit deeper in Brown's territory than when you miss the kick because you got to move back a little bit for the kick. So it just didn't make any sense. I don't like that Romeo Cornell took the ball out of Sean Watson's hands in, in an attempt to put a couple of points on the board. You, you know what you should have done there? You should try to do is put six on the board, not three. Put six or seven or eight on the board in that moment, not three. I actually disagree with you guys. I, I did not have a huge issue with them trying to kick a field goal there. It's a low-scoring game based on the conditions and especially the wind it was going to 
be a low scoring game. Just to be, You're clear, paying... I, just to be clear, I had a bigger issue with using the timeout. Oh, I agree with you I, on I that, Landry. Yeah, with, with with the timeout. Yeah, you have to. Yeah. Tim Kelly called it as if they were going for it, and Romeo yeah. had to. And think they were about lined... that, that was my biggest issue, not necessarily the field goal. Okay, but the the fact that you had to use the timeout. And there. they were lined up too. I mean, Deshaun was in there asking for the play before yeah, you right. called the timeout. Now that I, I I don't disagree. That's an issue I've had with Bill O'Brien for a long time. That you have to know what you're doing you in advance. Yeah, and, and Romeo wasted two timeouts, including this situation in the second half, which ended up hurting them based on the end of the game. So yes, you cannot use a timeout under any circumstances. You have to know what you're doing. My whole thing is it's a 46-yard field goal. You're paying your kicker a decent amount of money. He's guaranteed $4 million next year. Yes. Way, no so matter he, what happens. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think Kaimi is an okay kicker, but I just don't think he's worth the money. But the point is, he's the kicker. It's a 46-yard kick. It's the end of the field in which he seems, I guess based on what he told you pregame, he's comfortable kicking. I think the kicker needs to make the 46-yard kick. It's not like if you watch the kick, it's not like the wind took it. He just missed it. So it's not like they kicked it from too long of a distance based on the win. I just think he needs to find a way to make the kick. Uh, so I agree with Landry about the timeout. You need to know what you're doing ahead of time. I don't think that was the reason why they lost the game. To me, that is that is a fine kick to try in that spot, and that's on Fairbairn for missing. That's my take. The fourth and two, the way they'd been moving the ball on that drive, that was a very makeable play. That was a very makeable situation for Deshaun Watson, who used his legs to pick up some first downs already at that point. It was makeable even for that rushing attack who had picked up a third and two earlier in the drive. That was a makeable situation for the offense to keep the ball and keep things going and continue to grind out Cleveland because Cleveland, at different points, they were moving the football on those Brad Browns team. Like It would stand to reason that you were going to get more opportunities to put points on the board. Eventually, they did put a touchdown on the board. Obviously, you needed to keep Cleveland's offense off the field and again, if the win is an advantage, Cleveland gets it with all they need is a field goal to beat you. Well, one thing I think about some of these games is when that the longer that zero stays on the scoreboard, even as you're moving the football, which the Texans were most of the day, the more I think coaches become uncomfortable. And I get that from a human standpoint. That like you're moving the ball, you're moving the ball, you want you want some kind of crooked number up there. And so I think let, let's say this had happened in the first half when the Texans failed on goal goal to go uh, on the Browns goal line. So. And I know we'll get to that situation. Yeah, we will. But if they, I honestly think if they had found a way, let's say they had not had the completion from Watson to Akins to the two-yard line, and they had just gone like three and out at the goal line, and it was 3-3. I think Romeo does not kick in the second half and try that field goal. I think at 3-3, he would have been like, listen, it's a tie game. We've been moving the ball. We're going to go for it. But I think think that failing and not scoring points makes coaches nervous, and I can understand that feeling. Especially an older coach, too. I would think that would weigh more on the mind of an older coach than a Old school. Coach. Yep. I, I think the fourth and two play is one of the most ridiculous play calls I've seen in a long time. I mean, you you talk about the interior of the Texans' offensive line. The QB draw. Uh, yeah, the QB draw. You, you've known how bad the interior of the offensive line has been. Mike Devlin said there were mismatches against Green Bay, uh, just physical mismatches. Okay. To put yourself in a position where you're relying on your interior offensive line uh, to get two yards, and you're not even giving Deshaun Watson a choice whether to pass or run the ball, to me that was that, – that was just a terrible play call uh, by Tim Kelly. Uh, that 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 made no sense uh, in that situation, uh, and it's just one of many situations decisions that show this coaching staff's not good. Like this coaching staff's just just not very good. And I don't know how costly it is. I don't know what the cost is of 
keeping I mean you don't have a choice but I just wonder how many bad habits are being developed and how much the culture is being set back by these players having to be in the building with these guys these incompetent B.O.B. twigs and 70-year-old coaches that sucked 12 years ago. I don't know how much this is harming them in the long run. Maybe it doesn't at all. Maybe it's just whatever. But I just don't see how you're getting any better by having three quarters of a season with this coaching staff. I wonder how many bad habits and, and how many uh, how, how much stuff is, is harming them for the long run here. Or maybe you just wipe the slate clean. You start, you start with a new coach, hopefully, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and you can just like put this in the rear view. Well, I don't know if I'd go that far because for me it, that's more like when I think about bad long-term habits I think about like positional coaches developing guys I actually think Tim Kelly did some good things yesterday specifically incorporating Watson in the run game which they've needed to do the last couple of years what I hate about the plays and it's not just fourth and goal the quarterback draw it's also that play on third and goal when he has like the sprint out I, I need to come up with a term for these plays but there are certain categories of plays offensively that either like the play is there or you have no chance. They're one-dimensional play. Yeah, they're what like there's no opportunity for like Watson to make a play. And so when you think about goal to go, third and goal at the two-yard line, and you you have an incomplete pass, like that that play is either there or it's it there or there's nothing. There's no adjustment. There's no adjustment. The quarterback draw, like it's either there and you waltz into the end zone, or you're stuffed and there's nothing. And I think that given the stakes, third and goal, fourth and goal, I want to call plays in those moments that give me two options and maybe. They're three like options. single layer plays. There's, well, no, there's, yeah. no, there's that, no second layer to it. That's a play that you call when you don't have Deshaun Watson at quarterback. Or call on first or second in goal because then it's there, it's there, it's not there. Also, on that play, why did Randall Cobb jump? I don't know. <laughs> it was bizarre. He, he, he had two very bad drops. That one yes. right there, I don't know. I don't even know if it would have been a touchdown. Yeah, it was, it was that, weird. He dropped there on the goal line, then he had one where it was just wide open field around him and it just boop, right on the ground. Like, yes. Okay, well, that's what you get from a – $29 million slot receiver. I keep trying not to, like, I saw Seth Payne tweet on Sunday that, like, he felt like he was acting like a dick, or he, like, or he wasn't, he was, like, trying to enter the day in, like, a good mindset, which I feel, and then you watch this team play, and you're like, God, I want to kill everybody. And then, because it's not even the way they play, it's like, <laughs> you just keep watching, and you're like, this guy's getting paid this much money, Whitney Mer Merciless is dead out there, and he's getting paid a lot of money. It's hard to watch them and not become angry. Like, you guys put me in a better frame no, of mind. I was trying to get excited about this game. Like, I was yeah, you really excited were, yeah. for it. And, I mean, it, you watch it, and it's just like – it's frustrating because I keep hearing about Deshaun Watson and, you know, Kyler Murray is this and Lamar Jackson did this last year and Pat Mahomes did this last year. Sunday's game was basically a game where weather – minimize the importance of the quarterback if that makes sense oh yeah like the, the the quarterback can only do so much with that type of weather and really all cleveland had to do was just line up and hand the ball to their running backs make sure not to make mistakes and the the rest of the roster mattered more than it usually does if that if that makes sense and what basically what cleveland did is they just showed up and because their team is better everywhere else except quarterback and the quarterbacks were minimized they were just able to win that game and i don't even feel like they were really threatened i feel like cleveland was just there and it was just like it's almost like uh when like a, a 260 pound bully is like putting his hand on the forehead of like a 120 pounder and he's just like keeping him back in an arm's length that's just what i felt like the browns were doing to the texans the whole time and you know what the Browns don't do? They don't give up 21 yards to Rashad Higgins on third and 19. 
Yeah, that I did, was putrid. Yeah. And yet again, Vernon Hargraves bailing out 20 yards past, you know, where the wide receiver is going to go. Dude, he's going to the sticks. Like, it's it's third and 19. He's going to go to the sticks. He's looking for 20 yards. Anthony Weaver. Why are you 20 yards behind him? It, Weaver did this a few times on third downs, not only the third and long in that, but also, like, even successful, quote-unquote successful third down stops where they dropped eights and they rushed three. I don't know why you do that against a quarterback like Baker Mayfield. Why not just rush four or five and just make him make a quick decision? I, I just didn't understand that philosophically. No, that's, that's basically like Lamar Jackson. Jackson strategy or something like that. I, I don't know what exactly he was doing, and and I thought it was I thought it was really amusing, like what, how Seth talks about. I don't want to wake up and be a be a dick. Is the Browns before I guess I guess before really this year they were just the joke of the NFL, and and, and they were an absolute joke. Everybody laughed at the Browns' expense, and there was the Hugh Jackson era, and there was the Freddie Kitchens era, and John Dorsey's done a, done a good job of increasing the talent level. But a Browns fan who turned on that game yesterday and a Browns fan who watched that game, they saw multiple scrubs starting for their opponent that were on their roster during the, the laughingstock era of their, of their days. Like, they, they, they were sitting there laughing, and they were saying, oh, my gosh, Darren Fells starts for the Texans? Ha, 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 ha. Philip Gaines? Are you kidding me? That dude stunk. Eric Murray starts for the Texans? Like, Duke Johnson, oh my gosh, we signed Kareem Hunt. He was our third running back. He starts for the Texans. And and there there really haven't even been that many significant injuries here. Like the Browns, who were the biggest laughing stock, their fans were literally watching some of their names from the past uh, starting for the opposing team. That's pretty telling about where this where this roster is as a whole for the Texans. The roster is a mess, but I, I actually, on, on a positive note, I kind of felt like, I, I disagree with you, Landry, a little bit of, of, as far as the bully comment. I was watching this game and I was thinking the Texans are playing on the road in conditions that are not ideal for them in that they ideally would want a situation with no win where they can throw the ball because their quarterback is better than Baker Mayfield would is. They, though, but, but, but with, but with this, but my, my thing is with the bad defense, with, with how bad the Texans defense is. Yes. I almost think I, I almost think while, while you're right, I think the defense is so bad. I think the defense is almost as bad as Deshaun is good to where. That's it, true. It, it, it becomes it, it almost becomes a pick your poison type of but situation. He, here is my thought: Cleveland is a team that's gonna make a playoff push. I don't know if they're gonna actually make it. And I thought these teams were oh, relatively Tennessee wouldn't make it today, and they're six and three. That's true. Baltimore six and three. Uh, I, I thought these were two teams that looked relatively equal to me. Like I think the Browns were better because their scheme is better and their offensive line is better. But it made me feel a little bit better about next season because I thought. On the road, on unideal conditions, the Texans were competing with Cleveland. That is one positive that I will choose to take away from this game. I would, I would, I would agree with you, but they've shown in the past year that a lot of these guys aren't going to get any better. In fact, they're going to get significantly worse than what they were. Well, that, that does worry me, yes. I mean, I mean they, the they, roster's a mess. Mike, it's a mess. Mike, going into last year... They brought in their starting left tackle and their starting running back 10 days before the season started. Yep. A year later, they began the season with the five offensive linemen who played the most snaps starting on the offensive line, two running backs who'd gone through the whole offseason program, which is something that the starting running back couldn't say last year, albeit COVID offseason, but still the whole offseason program. And the quarterback was another year smarter. The offensive coordinator had been around for another year, and the head coach was still there. And the run game is way, way worse. 
So as much as like, okay, like they were equally matched, all those players on the field for the Texans, for the most part, are only going to get worse from this point. There are a lot of players on the field for the Browns in that situation that are going to get significantly better. Their left tackle had no issues with Whitney Merciless the entire time. That's a rookie guy who played right tackle in college who's now playing left tackle in the NFL. Imagine that. You can draft a guy in the first round and play him at left tackle. Imagine that. (laughs) Okay. Um, A lot of those Browns players are going to get better. Almost all those Texans players are going to get worse. No, I get that. But I also think that there are some components of this Texans team that are so bad that they're due to get better, even if you bring in just just minimum salary guys. Like, when you have literally the worst rushing attack in the NFL and literally the worst run defense in the NFL, it's actually hard to match that. Like, you could improve just a little bit and be like 20th or 25th, and it's a, it's a real upgrade over what we're seeing right now. Like, e- even if you're bringing in complete nobodies in the offseason, which they're going to have to do from a salary cap standpoint so I, I feel like I've probably dri- I, I've probably driven us off track but I did think no. that watching these teams I, I actually retained just a little bit of optimism for next season Well, as far as optimism I think the Texans aren't far away from competing for a playoff spot like like next yes. year I, I think I think this I don't think this team is just going to be down in the dumps I mean I, th- I think you have enough of a somewhat of a foundation to where it's not like you know you're going to completely fall off a cliff but as far as your there, there is a cap on the ceiling because of next year Yep, because of the salary cap dropping, because of your salary, because of your the picks, uh, the, the picks all that. There is a cap, but I mean, they can. They, they, the Texans could be the Raiders next year. I mean, the Texans could be competing for a playoff spot. They could be the Colts next year. They could be one. Of, well, they're not going to be elite at anything, and the Colts are already elite at uh, defensively. But they, 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 they're not going to complete. It's not like we're looking at a four and twelve team next year or anything like that. But I think there is a cap. The, yeah. the tough part for me about this Texans game is you got a clear advantage of quarterback. This is a Browns team. I get that you don't have Josh Jacobs at running back. They have 207 rushing yards to the Raiders two weeks ago. And I know they had the bye week to get things fixed and all that. You still couldn't run the football. Deshaun Watson's still the best rushing option on this team, which I, I believed in. I foolishly believed that Duke Johnson was going to be different. Well, I think I he's not. better. I mean, he's better than David sure. Johnson. But like, but we're all watching the same running plays. Where other than literally two runs, they had a twenty-three yard run. I want to say they had like a ten or eleven yard run. Other than that, I want to say just off the top of my head, like Duke Johnson carried the ball probably twelve times for probably like thirty yards. Like that's the that. He, so and we're all you, watching if, the same running plays. If, that there's just nothing there. If you take out his big run, the average yards per carry is about two point eight. Yeah. I did the math yesterday, which is kind of scary when I do the math, but I did the math. Yeah, you take out the one big run, the 23-yarder. Um, I mean, it, it, it's, staggering. It's, but, but, but really, it's staggering to not be able to run the ball but, to this extent. But think about it, too, though. I mean, I mean, just think about it because you're looking at the top th- the, the three guys that got the most touches yesterday at running back. We can blame the offensive line. Let's go ahead and just – let's just go ahead and put the offensive line to the side, though, right? The two guys on Cleveland – were the top two backs that they had when they traded Duke Johnson. So, yes, you can talk about the offensive line, but even with the offensive line ignored, the Cleveland Browns, when they had Duke Johnson, they used the draft pick they got from the Texans in the second round on Nick Chubb, and they signed Kareem Hunt, and then they were willing to trade Duke Johnson. And somehow they still got a third-round pick for it. So, yes, the offensive line's not blocking well, but you also don't have much talent at running back. Like, the running back position is, 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 not, very, is not a very talented position. But, I, I, but I, I, I try to put in a claim for Jordan Howard, who got cut today. I mean, that, that's the level that I'm at with, the, with this running game. While, while I agree with you, Landry, that there's not a lot of talent there, it, 
And, 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 if, and if this is just a yes answer, then just tell me, was 2019 Carlos Hyde that much more talented than Duke and David Johnson? Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. That is That's fascinating. Yeah. Do, you think, do, we, do we think Carlos Hyde is that much more talented than Duke Johnson through, is? Through nine games last year, yeah. Carlos Hyde had 704 yards. The Houston Texans as a team, including Deshaun Watson, through nine games, have 791 yards this year. <laughs> It's that amazing. Is, that's just Carlos Hyde. You know what the team had through nine games last year? 1,285 yards. Yeah. And it's not like any They're of us- 600 yards worse, and all they did was swap out the running back talent. I got to look up where they went. And ranked. Carlos Hyde has 125 yards for Seattle this year, and they can't even figure out their running back's position. So 2019 Carlos Hyde was the key. Because 2020 Carlos Hyde sucks, 2020 David and Duke Johnson suck, so you need a time machine to bring back 2019 Carlos Hyde, and maybe they can run the football. They were 17th in DVOA last year running the football. I'm guessing, I think they're 32nd in running the ball. I got got a pretty good idea that they're 32nd at running the football, Mike. I don't think you need the advanced stats to tell you that. They're 32nd as of the last week's games. I'm guessing that didn't improve all that much on Sunday. I'm not a smarty like those guys and football like, outsiders. It didn't get any better. I mean, what is it like in the building? Because they keep saying this nonsense after these games. Like, well, we got to scheme it up. we got to look at the film, like all that usual nonsense. Like, what is it actually like in these film rooms, in these meeting rooms, whatever they're doing, when they're looking at the running game? Like, I don't even know what the what the life equivalent is because you're seeing these plays and it's like the running back gets the ball and there's just nothing there. And they've been watching this for nine full games. Like, this will be their ninth week going into the building being like, yep, we're watching this running game and there's nothing there there it, we, we don't have any answers there are no more answers we thought the answer was duke johnson the answer is not duke johnson yeah we thought the answer was maybe going to be max sharping oh he's in at left card it's not max sharping you know what i would do i would just try everything that you haven't tried yet quali or whatever his name is you're the new right nah, guard. he sucks and I, know, I don't want i don't want greg mance you're the new center I, open, that, well i'm okay with that idea open competition on the offensive line for the three inside spots I what ha- when did Greg Mance become worse than Sinio Calamite? <laughs> well, they well and they said this last week. Romeo said this. They they view him and this is a Bill O'Brien leftover situation. They view him primarily as a backup center and as the only backup center in their organization. See, I I talked to someone that said that maybe when he got his bell rung against Carolina. It kind of took away his nastiness, and he hasn't been the same guy. Greg like Mance? A, a, yeah. A couple okay. of years ago, Mance filled in for someone that was hurt at Martin. right guard. Martin. No, 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 no. He filled in at guard a couple of years ago and played really well. Yeah. When, when Nick Martin yeah. was the center and was starting. And then the year that Nick Martin got rolled up on by, was, was it, it the Alfred Saints? Blue? No, it I, wasn't I Alfred Blue. It was one of the running backs, one of the young running backs, rolled up on Nick Martin in training camp. O'Brien was yelling and screaming to, at the guy. And then Mance played center just fine that year. Yeah. Yep. To, to a level that maybe Nick Martin hasn't played. I just don't know. I just don't know when that happened, when Greg Mance became, like, not as good as Sinio Calamente. It just seems it seems rather strange to me that that, that is the case. But, hell, we're talking about Greg F. and Mance. Like, well, really, and the like, Calamete what, thing. What are we doing? The Calamete thing. Because when I was going through the – and I wrote about the rushing attack and who you're blaming and things like that on, on, on SI. When, when I was going through it and I was looking and I was like, okay, well, who – played the most snaps last year on this offensive line okay what was the five guys they started the year with including max sharping yep and then 
Some Senio Calamete was on this team last year. Senio Calamete was healthy, and at some point, Mike Devlin walked in there was like, "Yeah, Greg, Mark, Max Sharping ain't getting it done. Throw Senio Calamete in there." So for almost 16 games as a rookie, he was better. He didn't get better in the offseason. Devlin blamed him, and then Calamete blame him, and then Calamete was all of a sudden better. He said that Max Sharping didn't have the jump. <laughs> that typically he sees from guys from year one to year two. Well, this well, is probably because the offseason was canceled. Yeah, well, this is what worries me about watching these games is watch these games through this prism. What are we getting out of these games as it relates to 2021 and 2022? What is the long-term impact of playing these football games? Because either you're contending in the NFL or you're rebuilding and you're trying to figure out more about your future. What am I getting out of these games for the future? I think you're potentially getting one of the scariest things that could happen to this organization. Which is? The guy that makes the decisions, the guy that writes the checks, thinks that they've been close. And he said as much a couple weeks ago when he's he like, did. oh, well, if A.J. Brown is out of bounds, he probably thinks if Will Fuller was in bounds, they've played some one-score games. The worst thing that could happen to this organization is while they're doing head coach interviews, Cal McNair tells the next head coach, we're close and you need to win next There's year. no way he believes that. Yeah, I don't think he can so believe he just, it. So he's, he fired Bill O'Brien a month ago, right? I mean, he is the guy who made that decision. True. The now, scariest thing could be that he thinks they're close. Well, here's the thing. About, here's the thing about close. If I was Cal McNair, I would tell the guy I'm hiring. Like, do I listen? If I'm hiring a guy, I'm hiring him on a four or five year deal. But I'd say, hey, my expectations for next season is I'd like to see you be like the Raiders or the Browns. I'm not going to fire anybody if they're six and ten versus eight and eight, nine and seven. But yeah, that would be my expectation relating to our earlier conversation. I think that being that being six and three in the AFC, being where the Raiders are, I don't think you need to be that good. But what's very clear and if you think if you're watching this Texans team and you think they're anywhere close to being a real team a real contender then you just don't know football because that they're two or three years away from that well and well, I mean who's the GM well the interim GM is Jack Easterby okay, and we don't know if he knows football who made him the interim GM Cal McNair I mean do, do but he made him but he made it he did make him the GM pretty much when you can't make trades you're not in charge of a draft you're basically just in sure, charge of sure, making sure. sure that the building's safe and all that type of stuff so this is this is not a 100% true GM situation for Jack Easterby so we don't we don't, we don't evaluate Jack Easterby as true GM I understand that That's No fair. no I, I mean but I think, we also don't evaluate McNair from a decision making standpoint of who he had the choice to put Well there. he made the one decision that needed to be made True as far as I'm concerned the, the decision is the decision that needed to be made by Cal McNair he made made after week four uh easterby as far as being a gm i, I just don't I, I i've talked to people that don't think he wants to be a gm good like for some reason for some reason like he's he's all of a sudden like gotten this and, and I, i'm not saying i i think maybe before week four uh he wanted to be but i think at this point i don't think jack easterby wants to be a gm i don't i don't think that is the case i think there's something going on now to where national media types are putting stuff out there about jack easterby uh, because that's that's the information they're being fed, and I think they're trying to make the organization look bad. That brings us to Ian Rappaport, who Sunday morning was on national television Yep, and reported that there's people in the building that want <laughs> Did Romeo. Did he say Cruz. in the building? He reported that there was a conversation. Let me let me let me yeah, fra- let me frame it because I don't think the let, people telling him this are in the building. Ding 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 ding. Let me frame it correctly. Ian Rappaport reported that there are people who believe 
the Houston Texans would consider the current situation, which is Romeo Cornell as the head coach, Jackie Sree as the general manager, for the 2021 season. Yes. One of his reasonings was... <laughs> the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Because you can't do in-person interviews with COVID. I mean, that that is... That, that is... Un, I, when I, the basketball is, team in the same city just hired a coach. I mean, that is a situation that is facing, without exaggeration... Every company of notes in the United States of America, they're all trying to hire people in the exact same way or largely I, the same way. I just I it's one thing to go with whoever gave him that report. Hey, they're thinking about this. It's another thing to add and say that line of reasoning with a straight face. Yeah, well, I, I know you guys are going to have a lot to say when it comes to the, the possible sourcing of where that comes from. My initial take on that report is twofold. One, it doesn't really make sense right now in November 2020 to look at 2021 and be like, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to continue what we have now for 2021. As if like, so, like I don't understand why 2021 is going to be that weird. It's the next season. You need a new GM and a new head coach. That's number one. And the second thing is, why would Romeo Cornell at his age sit there and be like, hey, here's what's going to happen. I'm just going to continue to be the head coach of this team just for 2021. Why is that something that even he would actually want? He wouldn't, and I, I don't think he does. And I'm surprised he wouldn't ask that today uh, at his media available. Good job, Stutes. Uh, <laughs> well, nobody asked Deshaun Watson about the decision to kick. I didn't get called on to ask Deshaun Watson well, on Sunday. I mean, I, I think I think a question today for Romeo would have been, "Do you want to be the head coach next year?" Boom, boom, boom. I Great think question. It, it could have immediately like squashed uh, what 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 this madness is. Look, it's okay. Before before you go on, hold on. I do quickly want to make the point. It has been Ian Rappaport twice, same guy, NFL Network, refuting directly what Cal McNair has both said yeah. and the actions which Cal McNair has taken towards a new regime for his football Look, I, I don't doubt that somebody's telling Ian Rappaport this stuff. I, I don't doubt it. But it's very obvious when this report comes out uh, to me that this is coming from someone who's no longer in the building. And, and there've been a couple people that have left the building in the last few weeks. So I think you can kind of connect the dots because Jack Easterby does not want this press. Like Jack Easterby is not going to leak this. Even if Jack Easterby wanted to be GM, he does not want this report to come out. I also don't think this is a possible. I, I also don't even think this is a possibility to me. This is a prime example of either Bill O'Brien or someone else that left that building telling Ian Rappaport this information about a discussion that's been had and Ian Rappaport puts it out there. He could also just be putting it out there because his sources have left the building and now all of a sudden he wants the actual someone in the building to call him and refute this so it's his way to get back in. Ian Rappaport has been in that building but if you look at all the leaks that the Texans have had the last year and a half, if you look at all of those leaks and everything that's happened with the Texans, there have been leaks about Jadavian Clowney's work ethic, there have been leaks about DeAndre Hopkins' practice habits. There's been leaks that Brock Osweiler was Rick uh, was uh McNair's idea and not uh, O'Brien's. Yep. There have been leaks, but we've never had a clue what they're going to do when it comes to coaching and staff. We didn't know Brian Game was going to get fired. We didn't know that Bill O'Brien was going to get fired. We didn't know all that. So the question is, why would these leaks suddenly come out? I think someone's trying to make the organization look bad. I think someone's trying to make the organization look like a joke. I heard that the organization wasn't even contacted uh, to ask about these reports. 
or it could be one of B.O.B.'s twigs. But I think these reports are absolutely coming from someone outside of the building. Uh, and I don't think it's a coincidence hmm. that it happened on Sunday morning. That's interesting. So someone outside the organization is thinking, OK, let me make the Texans look bad. Yeah. Let me call Ian Rapport and say, for sure. hey, they're considering keeping Romeo Cornell around for another year, for knowing sure. what the reaction is going to be. For sure. And, and it makes Easterby look bad because Easterby's already getting this bad press. So, yep. you know, who, who, who would be enemies with Easterby? Who would have? Have a bone to pick with Easterby. Uh, to me, I think it's I think it's very obvious that these leaks are from people outside of the building. Well, I, don't, I don't think this is anyone. I don't think this is anyone in the building, and I don't even think this is. I don't even think this is true. Maybe I'm giving them too much of the benefit of the doubt. I just I, I find it very hard to believe that you're going to hire this search firm for however the hell much that costs, and that's then you're going to say, point. you yep. know what, COVID, COVID is all of a sudden going to prevent it. So we're going to bring back a guy who was a crappy head coach 12 years ago to hang around and coach this thing with a GM. That doesn't make any sense. Cal McNair, by doing that, Romeo Cornell, Jack Easterby, keeping things the same, so on and so forth, Cal McNair would sully the good reputation that Corn Ferry, the search firm, has. Do they have that good doing, of a reputation? Uh, well, Cal McNair opened the checkbook and handed him a bunch of money to make sure they didn't help anybody else with the coaching search. No, he did. I, I just, I'm very skeptical of these search firms and what they actually do. Well, let me ask you guys this, though. Uh, you know how, how Cal and Romeo, they had those like conversations after everything that went on in the summer or the race relations, all that. They had Romeo like with those long interviews on HoustonTexans.com. You guys mm-hmm. know what I'm talking sure. about, right? So I realized that I imagine Cal McNair and Romeo Cornell must have had some kind of relationship, given that Romeo's been here since 2014. But I wonder if if that was the moment where they've gotten to know each other a lot better, because I don't know how often the defensive coordinator and the owner's son were talking like in detail up until those conversations. And is it crazy for me to think, what if this was like a trial balloon, the organization floated out like, Hey, we really like Romeo. The owner really likes Romeo, but we're not sure this is going to go. Let's, let's float a trial balloon out there and see the reaction. The the owner doesn't like Romeo because if he did, he wouldn't, he wouldn't hire a search firm and spend millions of dollars that way. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't have his president consulting on it and from the business standpoint, and he wouldn't have, what did he say? He's going to have a group of four or five people, an advisory committee yep. that he's going to put together. He wouldn't waste those. If he just like Romeo, he would just say, Hey, here's your tryout. Let's see if you can be the head coach. And by the way, if that was the case, if it was a tryout, let's see if you be the head coach failing grade. You're not the head coach. Sorry, Romeo. You're done. If you're approaching 2021, like, Oh my gosh, COVID's going to get in the way. We better wait till we hire a coach. Then you're just wasting the year. Because your players are still going to be drafted, players are still going to be signed, players are still going to be developed. If you're just treating that like it's not even there, then, then you're just wasting. And honestly, Deshaun Watson should ask for a trade. If, that, if, if, if you're bringing back, if you're bringing back Romeo Cornell at 75 years old, whatever whatever the hell he is, three quarters of a uh, of a century old, and you're bringing him back, and you're just rolling the do- Deshaun Watson should honestly ask for a trade, and he should get the hell out of here fast, like it, it, extremely fast. If that really is going to happen and, and, and honestly nobody should show up to that stadium nobody should renew their season tickets we shouldn't even talk about them we should figure out what's going on with the astros or something like that because <laughs> that's a disgrace if you're bringing back Roman. That, that that's scary if that's true that's Look, why i can't put much stock in that ultimately we all know they're not going to do that no i agree i, I just in a normal situation i'm 99 with you guys it's just that the organization has broken the trust of the fans with the hopkins deal and the existence of easterby so where i can't rule out 
about anything that's on the table. One fundamental question, by the way, I mentioned, like, why would Romeo want this? Another fundamental question about this weird possibility or idea that Ian floated out there is, we've watched the Texans play the last four or five games. Is anybody watching this team being like, oh my God, they've beaten Jacksonville twice. What a major difference from Bill O'Brien. Like, what has Romeo shown no, you as an interim head coach where you're like, give me more. I it, need more. Like, it's, wh- it's, what am I missing? It's the same damn thing with the exception of like, Two or three aggressive fourth down calls. Yeah, it's the same thing. Yes, I mean, I think I think in fairness, like I think the offense is being run differently. They're targeting Brandon Cooks way more, but like it's overall like not. There, there's nothing here that would make me feel like, boy, Romeo's really done a fantastic job. There's no evidence to that. I um, while we're talking about coaches, I have two candidates that we've talked about before on the podcast that I want to remove from consideration. Okay. Okay. The first candidate is Greg Roman. I want to remove okay. Greg Roman from consideration as the next Texans head coach. Because the Ravens offense is struggling now? No, no, no. Because the NFL figured them out. Okay. Because when he had it going and he had an unstoppable rushing attack and we could pin a lot of it on Lamar Jackson, the NFL caught up. It doesn't look like it's that difficult to stop the Ravens on the ground. Yeah. Obviously, it's tough for the Texans because they're just putrid on defense, but it doesn't look as hard as it did a year ago to stop the Ravens on the ground. So he didn't continue to evolve. He zigged when everyone else was zagging, and then when everybody caught up to him, he, he got caught up to What if he was just kind of handcuffed with his personnel? What if he maximized? What if he really just maximized what he had? And, and they now, lost Ronnie and now Stanley. There's really not much. Hey, they missed Ronnie Stanley, and now they just lost uh, Boyle for the season, too. That's right. Uh, so they, they've lost two guys that are important to their blocking. What if, what if Greg Roman just maximized Lamar Jackson? No one, no one thought Lamar Jackson was going to be like an NFL MVP candidate. What if, what if, what if the playbook, the, the pages in the playbook, there's, there's a cap to it, and he's just maxed it out not necessarily the nfl has figured it out there's a very real caveat here that lamar jackson's as good as he's going to be not getting any better i understand that but we're a few years out from knowing that and i don't want to take i don't want to find out that that's not the case and then you know the league caught up to greg rome so i want to remove greg rome fair okay I also want to remove Jim Harbaugh from consideration. That's fine. Well, I, I was gonna, I was gonna guess that was gonna be the second one. I want the, the thing's a disaster in at Michigan. Yes, and really digging deep and diving into those San Francisco years. He had one of the best defensive coordinators in football when he was there, Vic Fangio. Yes, and he had Greg Roman. I'm not confident in his ability to go find two more guys that can coach to that level, and. It's just a disaster in Michigan. I got to take Jim that's, Harbaugh out of the ring. That's I, very I, fair. I think it's fair because when something goes as poorly as this season has gone for Michigan, and this is like your opportunity to hire the next head coach for Deshaun, it's it's scary. And like it's a, it's a scary proposition because that's going to be the first question. And a lot of these college guys, like I want to I want to give a ton of people a benefit of the doubt on the college scene this like year. Like a lot a lot of these teams. Whatever happens this season happens. Yeah. It's a lost year. It's a free year. A lot of these kids are going to get a free year eligibility. They come back anyway. But all the problems that Michigan have are problems that they've had pre-COVID. Like so many of those things that Michigan has gone wrong for Michigan has been pre-COVID. This is however many years in for Harbaugh. I mean, Mike, you're the Michigan guy. Yep. It, 
I, I got to take him off the list. That's fair. Yeah, I, I, think, I, I think that's perfectly reasonable. I can take them both off the list. I, I do feel for Roman because I think he's done a good job with Lamar, and I think he's kind of limited. But Harbaugh, I'm a Harbaugh guy. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I think two guys whose arrow is pointing up, I think Joe Brady with the Carolina Panthers, mm, someone's going to do it. Like, look, if mm. you, you, can say, you can say the Texans don't need to do it because he's young or whatever. Someone's going to do it. So someone's going, someone's going to roll the dice on a guy in his early 30s, and I'm they're going to give him his first head coach. Job. That's going to happen. Eberflus too is is another guy. Cowboys linebackers have been lost since Eberflus left there. And I know Chris Richard was getting all the credit. Eberflus was the pass game coordinator and I guess the linebackers coach for the Cowboys a couple years ago. Basically a uh, co uh, defensive coordinator with the Cowboys. Jalen uh, Jalen Smith has been completely lost. They they've been lost without Eberflus. So I think Eberflus arrow and Joe Brady's arrow uh, is pointing up when it comes to potential candidates. Well, you you watch. We were watching the Colts game Thursday night, Landry. There were like two or three guys where where the announcers were talking about. Yeah, well, this guy, you know, here what didn't work, and here it didn't work, and he got to Indianapolis, and it just it works. It's like, oh, okay. Well, I mean, there's probably there's a lot of talent there, obviously. Um, you know, or there's talent. You know, probably a different set of talent and for those guys. They eight of their eleven starters, I think, on defense, and they trade a first and a second, and they already have one of the best defenses in the league. Yeah, it's a well-coordinated defense. I think that he that Eberflus has a good resume. I know nothing about him as far as like I've never seen him give a press conference. I don't know what he's like. I don't know. Very if mild-mannered. Very very like the, in depth. The, very I, very motivational. I think not, he's not motivational. He's very firm. It's it's almost like a uh, it's like a Parcells type. I, like, but not but not as not as much of like a uh, you, you know intense alpha. You know what I think he is? He's everything he thinks Bill O'Brien Bill O'Brien thinks he is. He's everything great Bill O'Brien thinks he is. Okay. Because well, O'Brien, the results have been o- there. O'Brien had some moments where he was, you know, endearing or he was funny or there was some personality. And it's like, oh, you know, there's that aw shucks, you know, hey, mischievous Boston grin. But more often than not, Bill O'Brien was an a-hole. Okay. Landry's, Landry's characterization of Eberflus, he is stern. He's direct. He's to the point. But having watched some interviews that he's done, having watched some like get to know you things, the guy's endearing and it's really hard not to like him. Like if you spent an hour with Eberflus, it would be really hard not to like him. And I mean, I just like that he's a good defensive coach and, I, and, and that his craft, he's very, very good at. That's, that's really the most important thing. I think his arrow is pointing up. I think Brady uh, arrow pointing up. I think Biennemi is the guy to look out for. I think Biennemi is going to be going to probably get the first crack at it, but I don't know if he's going to want it. I, I don't, I think he's going to have options and I don't know if he's going to want it. I don't know if the Texans are going to get their first choice. I think they need to hire the right GM and then he's going to have to make the, de- the decision, but well, do you, I, I don't know if the enemy is going to want it. Assuming they hire a real GM, which, dear God, I hope so, are we assuming that they hire the GM first? They have to. I mean, you, you have, have to. Well, normally you would say yes, but the 49ers I, went Kyle Shanahan, I don't, then John Lynch. But that was a package deal. I don't, okay. I don't, I don't but believe... But the Raiders went John Gruden, then eventually uh, uh, Mayock. But, but Gruden had to spend a year with Reggie McKenzie. He did, yes. Yeah. So that was much more delayed. So w- what I would say is... I think there are various coaches that build up the cachet to get to that point where they're hired and then the GM is hired for them. Yep. I don't believe any of the candidates that we have discussed 
is worthy of that cachet. Yeah, I agree with that. Yes. The, like, there's like, not a, like, there's Joe, not a Joe, or Kyle Shanahan. How does Joe Brady say that? Or even Eberflus, who's built a successful defense, and, or even Sala. Like, how do they say that? Like, they, they can't. Like, <laughs> Kyle Shanahan was an offensive guru, okay? Um, yeah, his stock coming off of the last Atlanta season was at a, a super high level. I, I, I know that Joe Brady knows a lot of people in football because that's what he's worked in, but he is like 32 years old. So it's not like... McVay was 31, right? No, he was, but McVay was just hired by less Sneed and less Sneed is still the GM of the Rams, right? Correct. So it's not like McFay brought his own GM. Yeah, so okay, so, so the point being, though, is that we collectively think that they're going to hire the GM first and then the head coach. Well, yes. then they got to get on their horse and that, that needs to be somewhat quick slash assertive on that. Potentially stupid question. I love these. Okay. <laughs> we obviously know coaches can't leave organizations while their team is still playing. Yeah. Right. Can front office people? I don't think it, so. Unless it's like some super low level guy that you wouldn't hire. I right? don't think so, but I think I, I think it's like after the season and then before the draft. It, as long as it's a uh and a promotion. Yeah, a promotion. So if I wanted the assistant GM for the Chiefs and they're still playing in February, my general manager's not showing up until the second week of February? I guess so. That seems that seems like a rule that needs to change. If, well, if, that that could make things a little tricky for the Texans. If Cal McNair wanted to save his reputation and uh, get some good PR, he would hire Lewis Riddick. Get the national media oh, yeah. back on his Absolutely. side. Absolutely, you get you get the national media it's back on your side. First of all, I think Lewis Riddick's going to be. I think he's going to be a GM. He wants to be. It's pretty obvious. But if you want to like salvage your reputation and basically make all the national media types shut up and quit talking crap about your organization, you hire Lewis Riddick and it's all solved. It's and, a great and he could start right away. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. Right and away. Start and he right away. He doesn't Absolutely. have a job. So you hire Lewis Riddick. He gets the job that everyone feels like he's wanted. And the national media already has a love fest with Lewis Riddick. You hire someone basically from the national media. No one's going to say anything bad about you. Problem solved. Quick, quick, quick sidebar about the TV guy. Mayock. I thought he might have been a disaster for the Raiders. Not been that bad. Doing yeah, not good. bad. Doing so good. it's not like the TV guy can't succeed or whatever. Yeah, I mean, and, and Lewis Riddick is a football guy. I mean, he played in the NFL. I he think, was with Philly. Yeah, he's been, he's worked in a front office, so I think he knows you what, know what? what he's doing. I, the fact that he can start right away, I kind of like that. I like Jeremiah, too. I like both of these guys. Maybe maybe, maybe it's just because I watch them on TV, but I I would take Lewis Riddick or Daniel Jeremiah, and both, I of those guys, both of those guys would salvage a reputation. You could hire him right away, and you could hit the ground running, and you could start right away. There it is. Problem solved, Cal. I don't, I don't hate this. <laughs> I don't hate this. You know what I do hate, though? And, and I just want to go back to this because I've been, I've been looking at the lab heading into this, uh, this Patriots game. Was there a bigger disgrace last year than the fact that the Texans acted like they beat the 90s Cowboys last year when they beat the Patriots well, and gave I, Bill O'Brien the game ball and all that stuff? I, I actually... Look, look, I, how, I, look how stupid that looks now. I will disagree because, uh, I, in fairness, I, I have been there for a lot. I have been in Houston for a lot of those losses against the Patriots, I think once or twice in the playoffs. So I get that finally beating them was, was a big deal. I, I, I actually... I don't have any issue with that whatsoever. I don't have any issue. That, with that. was whack. Why? Because the Patriots were dead. So you knew it. I, that, I, that was whack. Well, I think that there was um, rigor mortis hadn't set in, but there wasn't a pulse on that Patriots team. Yeah, it was it was starting to decline. But they did some weird. They did some interesting things. They had that crazy play with like Hopkins. Duke and Hopkins. Like they were creative. Bra- Bradley Roby had yeah, the, Roby had a the great interception because uh, Nikhil Harry ran the wrong route. They had the big lead, and then. 
The Patriots had a Nearly chance to get the onside kick. Uh, gave that up. It, the Patriots are an interesting case study too, though. I mean, they, they could be 500 after this Sunday. They, 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 they might rush for 300 yards. Well, that's Sunday. the concern. I, I, I don't think Cam is, is playing well whatsoever, even though I know he completed a, a decent percentage. I mean, he makes Baltimore. a million and a half dollars, though. I mean, yeah, it's, it, it's it, like it, it's all, you know, it's all Damian Harris and James who, White. Who, by the way, Burkhead. was the pick after Kahali Waring. Oh, I was just getting ready to look that up. I was t- he that was the guy, pick right after Kahali Kahali Waring, and I did say I wanted to run back. That guy where? should have been on the Texans. That's fair point. Where the hell is Kahali Waring? Is is he? Why is he not oh, on my television? He's screen? on his Instagram doing what? He's on his Instagram. He gets to travel with the team for whatever reason. I don't know. He can't I play. want him forced on the field, like forced <laughs> on the field. I, I want to watch him play football. I, I need him forced. Farrell on the had field. that touchdown yesterday, though. I, I know he did. I I, I don't care he, what state <laughs> Kahali Waring is in. I do not care. I want to. I want him forced on the field, and I need to watch him play. That's all I want. <laughs> I want to watch this guy play. Uh, one of uh, one of Landry's longtime favorites got shown the door. DeAndre Carter. DeAndre Carter. Can I, why did, why I, did David I, Johnson have to get a concussion for this to happen? Can I, can I rant about this? I, I have a quick rant. Okay, but you, I, I keep tweeting <laughs> this. I keep tweeting this, and it's driving me crazy that not everybody is agreeing with me. Will Fuller should be the full-time punt returner for this team. I disagree. And he should have been since 2016. And the fact that he's so injury-prone makes me even more convinced of this take, not less convinced. You guys saw him, first of all, Punt return, first of all, people don't punt in the NFL anymore, number one. Number two, there are like one or two returnable punts a game uh, in the NFL these days, by the way. And you saw when he made those moves and they got the ball at like the 50-yard line, like he's m- a much better weapon and they can use any edge they can get. Uh, that's that's my rant. Uh, DeAndre Carter, I never want to see ever again in my life. He sucks. Pri- prior to 2020, I would have agreed with you. But now he's the number one wide receiver on the team, so he can't. Well, that's fine. They're two and seven. What's <laughs> they're two and seven? No, I mean, well, yeah. I mean, if, if, if I was him, I'd say give me a shot because that just adds value. Exactly, that adds value I, to his negotiation down the road. I derailed us. Landry asked about David Johnson and how that. So, lets you, all so of this. Landry, you think this is a ripple effect off of David Johnson's concussion? Yeah, if David Johnson doesn't get a concussion, oh, we CJ don't see Procise isn't on the field. We don't get Duke Johnson, and then you don't get Procise active, and then all of a sudden DeAndre Carter's not gone. I don't see why that had to happen for this to happen. This shouldn't. David John or uh, DeAndre Carter shouldn't have been on the team this year. Correct. Uh, I mean, the, the mistakes he made last year were very costly. Not catching the punt against the Colts, the muff against the Falcons, which made it a one possession game, the, the fumble against the Chiefs. Like DeAndre and, Carter has been terrible for a long time. And not not only should he have not been on the team when he got to the team, and I get you had ten less roster spots going to training camp. He was unchallenged in his position. He was unchallenged. And, and, and let me let me say this too about 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 guys like DeAndre Carter uh, that linger around, and guys like Buddy Howe who've been on the roster for three <laughs> years, and, and on a Thursday before game day, we're talking about how he can't take a handoff. Romeo <laughs> Cornell's up there at the podium talking about how a running back who's been on the team for three years can't take a handoff, and luckily he got an extra week to take a handoff. And you have DeAndre Carter who can't even uh, play special teams. You have AJ Moore who can't even get on the field on defense. You could sit here and, and, and give me this spiel about all three phases and all three phases matter but if if you're not paying close attention to your punt returner and your kick returner then you really don't care that much about special teams yes because those are those are two of the most important potential game-breaking elements that you can have and 
I don't want to say overvalue special teams, but guys like Buddy Howe, guys like A.J. Moore, Colin guys Gillespie. like DeAndre Carter, guys like Colin Gillespie, who can't do anything except play special teams. If you want to have a couple of, of those guys, that's fine. But they, they, they've constantly had like six guys who can't do anything except play special teams. You, 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 you've, got to, you've got to change that. Well, think about, that was the guy a, can't take a handoff, uh, Mike. Agreed, yes. And think about it this way. I think with the exception of a few players in the NFL, like the Bills signed Andre Roberts a few off-seasons ago, and he's a really good returner. Unless you have a returner who's at that level, then by definition, every single year, your kick returner, your punt returner, that's a competition every single year. The idea that you can like get DeAndre Carter off the street two years ago and just kind of roll with him with no legitimate competition is a bizarre way to build a 53-man roster. It makes no sense. That That is the type of selection that in the fifth round, sixth round, seventh round, if you're drafting a skill position guy, corner, safety, uh, wide receiver, running back, you've got to have the ability for that guy to assist in special teams returns. I'm not talking about special teams personal punt protector i'm talking about returning ball in their hand returning let me just give you let me just give you a definition and then this is this is from dictionary.com uh here's the definition i'll give you the word afterwards okay a person who concentrates primarily on a particular subject or activity a person highly skilled in a specific and restricted field that's the definition of specialist oh damn quit using that word that quit <laughs> using that word so damn loosely because when i see that deandre carter gets gets released it says uh return specialist specialist <laughs> specialist no maybe that's all he does that's fine but there's nothing that, there's nothing uh, about him and the way that he returns kicks and punts that makes him worthy of being called a specialist so let's quit using that word loosely now you're definitely preaching to the choir it, it made no sense there was a complete lack of explosiveness he was sketchy as far as his reliability it just made no sense do you th- do we think that this frees oh, Kiki God, or, 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 or not I really don't know I, I hope don't know so. either I mean don't, it's I, don't, worth- I don't believe that Will Fuller will be the primary punt returner so that should be a Kiki QT opportunity it might be precise but I mean what, what do you have to lose by looking at Kiki I mean you're bringing him back next Nothing. year he has to be active because you don't have a back up inside slot or you don't have a backup slot receiver if Randall Cobb goes down. Yeah, so he I, has to be active I, going you, forward. You have nothing to lose by getting a look at Kiki right now. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't know that he's going to have some prominent role, but yes, I, I would like to see him active and just to kind of just to see what happens. Because yes, at this point, relating back to what I said earlier, again, there has to be a point to these games. They need to figure out who can be here for the short and long term. And Kiki is the perfect example of one of those guys who you will need to make some kind of decision on. And Two games against the Colts, and we know Kiki QT can play well against the Colts. Yeah, that's two, right. Twelve catches, uh, I think, or ten plus catches. The two times that he met the Colts, you, you've got to, you've got to see more Kiki. But it, it's good to see the DeAndre Carters and stuff uh, go on. By the way, the New England Patriots. How crazy is it that two guys that shined yesterday were undrafted free agents too? I mean, and these are undrafted rookie free agents that are making an impact for the New England Patriots. I think this is why. When you talk about GMing and coaching, and I'm not trying to go off on this tangent. We'll have plenty of time to talk about this, but they both matter equally and they can both mask a lot of warts because the Patriots had more opt-outs than anybody. It's not a talented team and they're around 500 right now and it's because they have a really good coach uh, and and even though they've had their flaws as far as drafting and stuff, they evaluate talent better than the Texans. Uh, So maybe that gives you some sort of hope if the Texans can 
make the right decision. If it's Romeo next year, I'm not doing this podcast anymore. That's that's <laughs> that's, that's why it's always I, like there's, there's. I might quit at the station too there, if it's Romeo. There's so much context. <laughs> there's so much context necessary to critiquing Bill o, Bill Belichick's drafting and some of the situations that he's put the team in with his early round picks because the context is yes he missed on this guy or that guy he clearly has trouble evaluating wide receivers in the draft but he's got guys that other organizations didn't even sniff or pay attention to and then they show up uh on Sundays and they perform really well like that that is something that by the way, that's something that, that Bill O'Brien, post Rick Smith, his teams definitely didn't possess. Yes. I mean, they were they were prioritizing these special teams uh, guys when other teams would just take a seventh rounder, an undrafted guy, and turn them into that guy. Well, Texans Cap pointed out today, he had a thread about this, about what the Texans will do in the offseason. They're going to have, by virtue of not having a first or second round pick, they're going to have a pretty big undrafted free agency class. And I know that's pretty low probability stuff, but they could really use a James Robinson of the Jaguars. Like one to three of those would be just like manna from heaven for a team like this for next season. And Belichick was actually talking about it today. Like they were asking him about these undrafted free agents. And Belichick basically said, you know, it takes two to tango. It's about the situation. It's about, you know, how your how your situation fits for them. What's best for their client when you're talking to agents. With, with all the holes on the Texans roster, you got to think that Very this situation is going to make a lot of sense for a lot of the undrafted guys uh, when you don't have these picks. And they're, they're going to look at the situation and say, you know, maybe that's uh, maybe that's the ideal situation. Maybe that's where I have the best chance to to make a squad. Who knows? Well, think about it. If you're an undrafted, I mean, who knows who the Texans will actually pick in the third through seventh rounds. But like if you're an agent representing a running back, an interior offensive lineman, hell, anybody who plays on the defensive side of the football, <laughs> like anywhere, but especially the secondary, this seems like this would be a, a spot where your client can probably win a job. There are there have to be. There have to be agents out there whose primary client base are guys that are not on an NFL team right now. Oh, absolutely. That watch the Texans <laughs> yeah. and think, I got three guys that are better than Vernon Hargraves. Yeah. I know I got them. Vernon Hargraves cannot play more snaps for this team. Uh, and and the, the fascinating part. You want to you make a bet right now? I do want to make a bet. I'm always, I'm always, I'm always ready, ready to make a wager. I bet you Hargraves is on the team next year. <laughs> what are we betting? I don't know. This sounds like Dinner? like a like a. This sounds like a like a. This sounds like a pretty cheap lunch kind of date. Yeah, no, there's like no, no, there's no way. This is like the seven dollars I mean, special. You wouldn't date. want Hargrave to be your fourth bet. corner, fifth corner. I'm okay with that. No. I mean, the, pro- the problem with Hargraves, and I actually feel kind of bad for him. If you want to tell me Gary on Conley's on the team next year, I'll listen. No. But I'm not. No, Vernon Hargraves, no. no, no. <laughs> he's the second. He's the number two corner right now, so it's, it's, it's unfair. But as a fourth or fifth corner, you, you can do worse than Hargraves. Keon Crossan has played like seven snaps a corner. They were all better than Gary than, than Vernon Hargraves. I, I think he's going to be on the team next year. I think he's going to sign a minimum deal, and I think Hargraves is on the team next year. If, 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 if Vernon Hargraves is on the team next year, then I'm already down on the next GM. 
<laughs> that Cody's quitting the podcast. I'm already down. <laughs> I'm already down on the next GM if, if, if Vernon Hargraves is on the team next year. That's just, that just can't happen. It is amazing and annoying that last year they pick up Hargraves. He plays the rest of last season. Isn't very good. Then he's back this season. Yeah. Plays a ton of snaps. Also is completely, yeah. uh, completely ineffective. We just have to like sit there and just watch this week after week after week. We've got to talk about these DBs too, by the way. Oh, the Twitter stuff? Bradley Roby, Bradley Roby called out McLean on Twitter two weeks ago. Lonnie Johnson called out Aaron Wilson last week. And now Justin Reed is calling Rivers McCown an asinine punk because he tweets out a video of Justin Reed whiffing he missed the tackle. on a tackle. <laughs> I mean, he just said Justin Reed, box safety, boom, that's it. And then Justin Reed calls him an asinine punk. And I, the comments were going... Very, very anti-Justin Reed. I don't know what he thought the payoff was there. If, if, if you want to be Lonnie Johnson and try to explain, well, the coverage this and that, da 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 like that's something that maybe your average person doesn't understand, can't see with their own eyes. Maybe we don't see it. We don't know what was called. Justin Reed just straight up whiffing on the play that would have got them the football back? That's unacceptable. How can he be defending that? Like, how can you take to Twitter when you embarrassed yourself and try to act like someone is a jerk for pointing it out? Called him an if, asinine punk. If I was Romeo Cornell, this is actually something I would have addressed one of my first things on the agenda today. As in Monday morning, I would have stood in front of the team or whatever they do these days and been like, all right, we have like five things on the agenda. And here's one of them. Listen. Everyone in here, including myself, we are two and seven. I don't care if you're the quarterback, the defensive end, the defensive back. Like we are all two and seven. So I see these tweets of you guys going after the media. I just want you to know, like this is a football team, and we are all two and seven, and we have to be accountable and we have to act accordingly. Because as Landry mentioned, like uh, I, these these guys need to realize, especially in a place like Houston, where people are have been so out on this team. Like you are not going to get support from the fan base. When you tweet, and he stuff got like, none. And he got hey. none. Like, like when you're on a when you're on a bad, underachieving NFL team, like it is going to get ugly. So act accordingly and stay off social media if that's what you need to do. You know who else thought Justin Reed did a shitty job on that play? Ninety nine, because he was <laughs> sitting there after the game and he's like, "Well, I saw Nick Chubb six yards behind the line of scrimmage. Looked like we had it had him yep. boxed in, and then he was on the one yard line." By the way, ninety nine, not good yesterday. Well, 99, I mean... 99, not good yesterday. Lost contain a couple times. Uh, had fair. Austin Hooper bully him a little bit. Uh, it did, did 99 did not look good. Hey, look, you're not getting vintage J.J. Watt every game. You're getting beat up, a lot of mileage on, your, on his body. 31 turning 32 next year, J.J. Watt. Mentally broken. <laughs> Mentally broken. Yeah, well, this is why. I mean, and, and I'm, not, I'm not even. I'm not. Maybe. I'm not knocking it. What, what would you? I mean, would you look forward to going to play football right now if you're JJ Watt? Hell no. I mean, it hurts. Yeah, I mean, my it, team stinks. It, your team stinks. It's painful. Uh, and you're, you're the only away. guy. The other team's focused on stopping. Yep. <laughs> yeah, another two, good two, point. three, four guys yeah. coming at you every play. It's exactly. so sad. I, I'm actually at the point where I'm where uh, today. I'm sitting there. I'm like. All right, they're getting Jacob Martin back next week. Oh All right, at least, I, at least maybe he can put some pressure on the quarterback because Lord knows nobody else is right now. No, no. This was a big opportunity for John Grenard. Did not pay off. I mean, big opportunity I, for Ross Blight did not pay I, off. I don't know what to make of those guys. I mean, they are they are playing. They're not doing a whole lot, which cannot be a good sign, but I guess I'm in sort of in wait, wait and see mode. What? Okay, so totally different topic moving on from, okay. from the Brown situation. What do you think Bill O'Brien said 
when he saw DeAndre Hopkins come down with the touchdown for the Cardinals to beat the Bills? What do you think Bill O'Brien said, and what do you think his thoughts were? I mean, I think his thoughts are, yeah, he's a really good player, but uh, he wanted a new deal, blah, 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 blah. I, I don't I, – I don't <laughs> – he maintained that he said that DeAndre was a good player, but I, I really think that's kind of just the route that he's going in that he's like, he's so he's so clueless that he thinks that that was a move that had to be made. Like I like I saw I saw uh, a national college football writer bring up Bill O'Brien's name for the South Carolina opening. They fired Will Muschamp. Yep. And I saw that's a perfect the, job for him. The first that's his weight class. That's where he belongs. Oh, I think he would get worked in the SEC. No, he would, but that's where he belongs. That's it's a tough that's, job. That, that's that's what his that's what his uh, that that's 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 where he belongs. He doesn't belong in the NFL. The, the next job that Bill O'Brien interviews for, he's gonna get asked about the Hopkins thing. See, here's here's where I I, I would love to agree with you, but I'm so like not convinced on the state of competence in football right now. I'm not even sure if that's true. Like it's it, it's a hundred it it should be that way. Like if I'm interviewing Bill O'Brien, I, I I'd be like, hey, listen, uh, I'm watching DeAndre Hopkins. How the fuck did you think it was a good idea to trade DeAndre Hopkins for a running back who sucks making ten million dollars a year? Like it, it's it it is egregious. It is. I, like I, I, like it, it makes me unspeakably angry. I think Landry's right as far as how he would rationalize it in his own mind. Well, yeah, like, and it makes like, no sense. But how did you do that? And then, what was that fourth round pick swap exactly? What what, what was that about? Like normally when you swap picks, it's like the same year, like the, the same year they have a better pick than you, so you swap. They swapped last year's fourth round pick for the Cardinals this year. Like, did they just, did they just think the Cardinals were going to be the worst team in football and that was going to be near the fourth round? Like, what was that? What, what the hell was that? Landry, that came from the same school of front office uh, executive leadership as adding in the random second round pick to the Tunsil deal, which clearly did not need to be included. Same damn stupid The principle. David Johnson contract is, uh, like, taking that back that contract is one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. And, and, and you know what's really, you know what's really remarkable about the Texans and the investments they've made with running backs like even when they should have leverage they, they don't have any leverage because think about this you trade a third round pick for duke johnson i think Kenyon drake went for a fourth or something last year and Kenyon drake had a pretty damn good year last year or what it might even been like a fifth or so, I, I don't even remember the browns signed kareem hunt and had nick chubb and duke johnson wanted out of town he wanted to be traded the Browns should have had zero leverage yep. when it came to Duke Johnson. And you gave up a third-round pick for Duke Johnson to come in. David Johnson had one of the worst contracts in football. Two running backs on that depth chart were ahead of him, and they clearly liked him more, and he clearly wasn't going to be there. And you not only traded DeAndre Hopkins for him in a second, you took on his entire salary, which they were trying to get rid of. Do they understand anything about leverage? Like, or did they? No. Like that, it, no, they don't. And 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 <laughs> like, like, there's just there's just so many different ways. And and that that game was highlighted by get your young quarterback a badass at wide receiver because the pl the a couple of plays before Hopkins comes down with that Stefan Diggs makes a play that very few wide receivers could make Incredible. for Josh Allen and they they invested heavily in him and you look at the city of Houston when Hopkins makes that catch and it's just peril and despair in Minnesota 
They didn't give a shit because Justin Jefferson, the yeah. first round pick that they got, no, that they used, trade. he's yeah. awesome. And, and There's and something to look the at. Value. They have uh, something well, to, get to, to show for their trade. I have a thought. This is along Landry's line, so if they should hire Lewis <laughs> Riddick as GM to curry public favor. I genuinely believe this, and this is not something. I, this is not a reactionary take for me because I, I've thought this for a month, maybe longer, and it's it's something I would say maybe every twenty or thirty years. It's not something that organizations should be in the business of doing. But this Hopkins deal is so bad and so disgraceful that if Cal McNair asked me for for my advice, I would say the first thing that you should do is you should apologize to the fans for the Hopkins deal. I'm dead serious. Like, I actually think it's such an egregiously bad trade. And everybody told you about it at the time that you should say, you know what? Like, let me just let me fall on my sword on this one and say, listen, you guys are the fans. You're the most important people. Like, you are the customers. You invest in the team financially or otherwise. We made a big mistake. We're sorry. I actually think they should apologize to the fans for the Hopkins deal. I'm being dead serious. I think they should apologize. What's the reaction going to be there? Well, I, I don't know what the reaction is going to be, but I, I, I think sometimes the first step in recognizing you in solving a problem is recognizing you have a problem. They, they broke the trust of their fan base with that trade, and I think that's the first step towards trying to gain some of it back. I don't know how to answer your question, but usually if someone comes to you with a genuine heartfelt apology, it's hard to like immediately kill them. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's my thought. I, I don't know what Cody thinks the reaction would well, be. Well, and you, you, sometimes that's about one of those things that's you got to learn your lesson. Yeah. I mean, think about when you, your parents punished you. Not only did they punish you, you had to apologize when you did something. Yep. You had to learn your lesson. You have to learn your lesson. Speaking of learning your lesson. Are the Rockets going to learn their lesson on this James Harden thing? In what sense? <laughs> well, Adrian Wojnarowski tweeted a few minutes ago that James Harden has turned down an extension offer to be the first $50 million a year player in NBA history and that his message to Houston is clear, get me to Brooklyn. Now, there's this whole, they want to trade Russ, they want to keep James, there's no movement on moving James or Russ, so on and so forth. What, what's, what's going to end up here? What's going to happen here? I fear that the GM, who I'm not really convinced should actually be the GM of this team, which is a side note nobody's really talking about. I heard that before. Uh I worry that they're going to trade James Harden to the Nets for some poo-poo platter of like Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert and Jared Allen, who I think are use, useful players, but I don't, I am not convinced are the building blocks in any sort of like actual rebuilding effort. Would I trade James Harden? Actually, I would, but I am not going to trade him in a situation where it's dictated to me that I can do it just with one team unless I can work like a three-team deal because I actually think they should trade James because they can't win a championship anymore. That window has finished. He's going to be at his highest value now, and I would do everything in my power to cash in right now, but not for some weird poo-poo platter from the Brooklyn Nets. That's my take. What has James... James Harden done that has, that that he can dictate where he wants to go. Well, I, I, here's how I'd answer it: that I think the NBA is is sort of is obviously run by its players, and I guess there's the risk if you're the organization and you just utterly refuse to deal with a star player this magnitude that then nobody looks at you for a while. Maybe that's the risk. Well, I don't know. It's because it's different because Kawhi Leonard gets you know, into a room with Balmer and the Clippers and says, yeah, I'll sign here if you'll get Paul George. Kawhi Leonard's champion. 
Kawhi yes. Leonard has hoisted the trophy. Kevin Durant shows up in Brooklyn and says, yeah, I'll sign here if uh, Kyrie can come. Kevin Durant's hoisted the trophy. James Harden had done that. Yes. So why does he get to dictate anything? Well, they don't have to trade him. And they don't have to trade him to where he wants to go. Of course. I mean, and that's what I, if I, if I was them, that's what I would is do. Is there anything realistic that, that, that's like, is there, is there any good player they can yes. get for James Harden? Yes. Ben Who Simmons. Is? That's the guy I want. I, I would trade him for Ben Simmons. So ben get, Simmons you, is 24 years old. He's locked up. He's, he's locked up for like five more years. I think that is, give me Ben Simmons and then give me a draft pick in one of the years where the Rockets flat out all want to Oklahoma City. And so, then I'll live with it. So in a league where you win by shooting the ball, give me yes. the guy I can't shoot. Yeah, because I'll have one guy and then I'll surround him with a bunch of shooters because I'll play him at center for God's sake. Seriously. <laughs> he's a great defensive player. He's a tremendous passer. I'll play him at center. That's what I would do. But at least that's legitimately solid. That, that's a number one overall pick who's a young guy who I'll need to reclimate in front of like very few people with no pressure. I can do that. But I'm not a fan of this poo-poo platter from Brooklyn. Landry? <laughs> I, I just don't know if Tillman Fertitta is really enjoying owning a professional team as much as he initially thought he would. Yeah. yeah, he, yeah. <laughs> if, the, if the chef at Saltgrass doesn't want to work, he just gets the next guy. It's the same menu every time. Yes. Yeah, it's it's ironic that the two teams on the list before now, I guess it's turned into get me to Brooklyn, but Mike D'Antoni's in Brooklyn and Daryl Morey's in Philadelphia. And those are two guys that Tillman Fertitta has publicly disrespected, really, uh, in the last year and a half. The way that he treated D'Antoni last offseason was an embarrassment. Uh, and I think, I think people around NBA circles saw it. And publicly ridiculing Daryl Morey from everywhere from uh, on TV to the White House uh, to Morey getting out of here and then going to Philadelphia. I just think it's kind of backfired. I don't think you can treat your guys like that. Uh, and I don't think it's any coincidence that James Harden uh, is open to uh, reuniting with those two guys. It, it's it, 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 We can talk about the Texans dysfunction and stuff, but at the end of the day, Tillman Fertitta, of all the owners in sports, he's the guy I would least want to run a team that I have any rooting interest in. I think he's one of the worst owners in, in sports right now, and I think it's kind of showing. So the, their, their, their potential plan is we're going to trade James Harden for a bunch of players. We're going to trade, trade Russell Westbrook for a bunch of players. We're going to get some eh draft picks back. Well, that's and my issue. they're just going to be bad, but they don't, own their dra- they don't own their own draft picks. Well, that's that's the problem. Like, if you, if you cash in with these players, I'm fine with that, but you absolutely need to get back – a combination of real pieces you can build with and or real draft picks that are going to but, be valuable. But there's but otherwise so, it'll be like Brooklyn was six years ago and it's gonna take you basically five years to get to the point where you could actually build your team. So a non a non number one overall draft pick's only valuable when you already have a good player. Yeah. They don't have a good player if they trade James Harden and Russell Westbrook. I mean, actually, I think they could if they really disassemble this roster. I think you could get decent value for guys like P.J. Tucker because only because I, I think like those guys are useful and can help other NBA teams the, with a year left on his deal. But like, I, I, I don't know if I trust the GM to make those. But, but the other problem, the other problem that you have right now, if you're the Rockets, is when you hired this new coach, when you hired Silas, I'm assuming that part of the interview process was, now how are we going to get the most of James Harden and Russell Westbrook? I'm assuming that he said something when he was asked those questions that led them to believe that this was the right guy for the job. Because it seems like they were surprised that Westbrook and Harden were asking for these trades. Although they said Harden wasn't part of the coaching search. He wasn't even in town for it. 
are you sure they got the right coach based on that? Because I'm I'm assuming that these questions are asked, right? And now all of a sudden you have this coach here that you hired, and I'm I'm assuming that you hired him because you thought that he could maximize James – and Russ at the same time. And now all of a sudden those guys both went out and you have this coach here who it I don't know it what kind, I'm supposed to think of him. You know what the whole offseason feels like? Kind of feels like a kid playing NBA 2K. <laughs> oh, this, oh, so oh, this guy has a good defensive coaching rating. Well, I want to hire him. Oh, oh, this guy has this, you know, this guy's good at this in our organization. I want to kind of feels like somebody who maybe bought the team, maybe letting somebody who's their offspring just run this thing and he kind of plays like a video it, game. It, what, what's the worst case scenario if Harden wants a trade and you just don't trade just him? Just leave him he here. He just no-shows? Yeah, you know, but that, he that's He just no-shows or he shows up and he's hurt for the whole season? That's fine. I'll, I'll live with that. I'll, I'll live with that more so you'd than... you'd rather be petty. More than just giving him away. I'm all in on being yeah, petty. No, he just, want, yes. he just doesn't want to give him away. I don't want to give him away. Absolutely. I'm, yes. I'm, I'm all... Because, I mean, that was the thing... I mean, we've seen Anthony Davis do it. We seen we said we saw Dwight do it a couple, you know, back in the day. Like those guys are hurt, air quotes. Yep. They just sit, and then you play them like a handful of games, and then you you trade them, you know. And sometimes you get maximum value, sometimes you don't. Because my, my again. I have no problem trading James Harden this offseason because the championship window is shut. But the idea that I only have one place I can trade him to is not a palatable one for me. Maybe I can swing a three-team deal where I can get some picks or some players. I don't know where Raphael Stone stands on making a three-team deal. I, I'm confident that Daryl could pull something like that off. But I can't have... like. I mean, there's a real chance that you're staring at like five or six years of complete and utter irrelevance. And I don't know how ready Tillman Fertitta would be for, would be for that. It's one thing to be bad. It's another thing to be bad with not having your draft picks. And that is a huge problem. I mean, he, 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 he walked into a business when he's coming from a business that inherently the people are replaceable. Yeah. New pit bosses, new casino managers, new chefs, new hostess, new managers at the restaurants. It's not as replaceable with these NBA players. And I think he's learned that. And my gut feeling is that in a few years, he is just a part of his portfolio. The kiddo's running it, whatever. Make sure it makes money. Make, make sure we sell enough beer and popcorn and you know gear to the Red Rowdies. We make some money. Yeah, I just I don't know what it's going to be like here if, if the team is winning, you know, 25 to 35 games. a season. Yeah, I don't know that the needle even gets moved when they're when they're maxing out that much. That, I, I don't the, know that the, the needle gets gets moved uh, too much with the NBA. I mean, they were on the precipice of a championship. The guy wouldn't pay the luxury tax. So yes. he's he, he not going to pay a bunch. I mean, but he'll, then, hit the, he'll hit the salary floor for a couple years. Maybe maybe once your draft picks come back, you get lucky and you get a nice draft pick. Well, to Landry's point, though, this team was one of the two best teams in the league a couple of years ago, and they were having to basically like pull out every give away stop. dollar beers. Yeah, pull out every stop to have the dollar fans in their seats for Game Seven against Golden State. What the hell is it going to look like if you're just winning 33 games a season without any draft picks? I mean, it's going to be a morgue downtown. Yeah, it's it's going to be a morgue. It's a good question, but that means that. 
the Toyota Center will be a big stop on all these music tours. You got to make money somehow. So more Gwen Stefani tours, more Pink tours. Yeah, you know, some big country acts will come through there. I miss so concerts. The concert series. Yeah, will get jacked right up. I over miss there concerts. At Toyota Center. Well, hopefully they're back in 2021. Well. <laughs> hopefully, for many people.